And the high road is not choosing between the good and the bad. Anybody can do that. You can do that without God. But the high road is choosing between the good and the best, and always choosing the best. Welcome back to the Baptist Friends Podcast with Dr. Clarence Sexton, where we gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. Thank you for joining us today. This is a very important day, very important day. I'm going to tell you why. Because preaching is dying. Preaching is dying. And when it dies, everything that it produces will die with it. In other words, people want to share, discuss, debate. When we are to preach the Word of God, it's a declaration of truth in the power of God's Holy Spirit. And we're dealing with the subject of preaching. And I want to help you in the matter of preaching. And um, we're right in the middle, literally in the middle of what I wanted to say about the 75 things God's taught me about preaching. And I do not take for granted that you're with us, but I want you to know if God has called you to preach, that's different from everything else. Is that call on your life? Is it in your heart? Is there a holy fire inside of you? If not, then you need to reconsider what you're doing with your life. Because you're going to wake up someday as an old man and think, I never really was fueled. I never really was fueled for this. But if God is in there igniting it, that's a whole different matter. Let's pray together, may we? Father, we thank you for this day and for your love and mercy. I pray your blessing, guide, and help us. Help us as we deal with this subject that is so important, so vital. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I shouldn't use the word so vital. It's either vital or it's not vital. But I'm going to jump right into this if you want to write some things down. Don't listen without taking notes. Don't listen without writing things down. I'm glad you're here. But if God speaks to your heart, if these things are worth listening to, they're worth repeating. And so remember when we're preaching, we're not preaching to be heard. We're preaching to be repeated. Preaching to be repeated. You know how to get off one and get on to another one? Then let's do that, okay? Very good. We're preaching to be repeated. Uh, I need to look at somebody that's interested. Somebody's hungry. Somebody thirsting. Somebody wants this. You know? If they haven't been awakened yet, why? when they wake up, put them back on. Good. I can see some of you. And uh, look, I am who I am. Praise God, I don't want to be anybody else. So, I've been stirred up like this for 55 years, and I want to die this way. I want to go out in a, a flame of fire, not a puff of smoke. And so, uh, may God help us. Now, next thing we're writing down. 
We need to depend upon God as much in the preparation of the sermon as in the delivery of the sermon. This is an approach you take to the Word of God and to God. When you're preparing the sermon, you want to be depending upon the Lord just like you would while you're in the pulpit preaching it. And the Holy Spirit instructs us and enables us. And uh, this, is, this is a time to really let God speak to you. I'll have more to say about preparation as we move into this. But I want you to take serious, seriously the matter of preparing. It is, it is the building of who you are and what you have to say. Take it seriously. Let God really speak to your heart. And so I repeat to you, we need to depend upon God as much in the preparation of the sermon as we do in the delivery of the sermon. The next thing I'd like to say to you is preparing a message is as much a spiritual exercise as preaching the message. So if you think I'm engaged in spiritual things when I'm preaching, I want you to come to the place where you're really believing that preparing this message is as much a spiritual exercise as getting the pulpit and preaching it. So uh, you love the Lord, you love His Word, and God is speaking to you. And if God hasn't spoken to you, how in the world can you speak to other people? If God hasn't stirred your heart, how can you stir anybody else's heart? Now, this is what it's all about. And may the Lord help us. Every part of preaching is the work of the Lord. Meet God in the preparation. I'd like for you to write that down somewhere, would you please? Meet God in the preparation. And then may I say that each step of preparing a message should be bathed in prayer. Now I'm going to try to explain this. There's been a little time on this. Each step of preparing the message should be bathed in prayer. Some people just are satisfied being a microwave preacher. I, I'm not satisfied being a microwave preacher. I don't, I don't like microwave preaching. Don't you think I have something to say? I've been saying things like this for over half a century. Sure, I've got something to say. But each step of preparing a message should be bathed in prayer. We're always praying, always believing God. And you're always going to have some writing instrument and something to write on so you can write down what God's speaking to you about. You, you know, if you could have visited the study, the study, not the office, but the study of Lee Robertson. Lee Robertson lived in a house on the side of the hill in Chattanooga. And uh, you, you came in backwards to the house. You came to the back of the house and came backward down steps to the house. And you walked in a little hallway. And then there's a dining room and the kitchen. And then if you went left, you'd move toward the living room and toward the bedroom. Sometimes I wish I'd have bought his house. It was for sale. But toward the bedroom. And then you got to the bedroom. Nothing fancy about it but the bedroom. But right off the bedroom was a small room. It wasn't large, but it was his room his study, 
his sermon preparation room, his, his praying room. And uh, Dr. Robertson, his wife, uh, pardon me, my voice is not the best today, but, but Dr. Robertson and his wife were in the habit of praying about everything. And when you prayed with him, he prayed with you. He would end each prayer. If you're praying, if I pray with Dr. Roberts, I pray with him, uh, Lord, bless and guide and help us today, whatever, 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 whatever. And then when I said amen, he'd say amen because he was in that prayer with you. Well, he had a little place that was connected to his bedroom, a little, a little room, and I guess he would call his home office, and his library was there. I have his library at Crown College. We have a special room at Crown College called Lee Robertson's Study. And we have in the Lee Robertson study, we have the books. Every book that was in Lee Robertson study at home, I have in that study. You can come in there and pray sometime. And maybe God would anoint you like he anointed him. I never heard him preach. I heard him preach over a thousand times and he never fired a blank. Every time he shot the pistol, every time he fired the gun, it exploded with power. Now think about that. There was no 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 blanks and it all happened not in the pulpit at the Highland Park Baptist Church but it happened in that little room in that little room where he was writing and praying and reading the Bible and asking God to help him it was a sacred thing to him to be in there praying and believing God is it a sacred thing to you to meet with God and for God to prepare your heart to preach His Word? Is it a sacred thing to you? I say, each step of preparing a message should be bathed in prayer. And our God leads us and speaks to us all along the way in the sermon. He leads us. Um, years ago, I made friends with a man named Ben Carson. Ben Carson is a great man. He started out as a Baptist as a boy, and uh, he now is a, um, what, what, what are they call Seventh-day Adventist. And because his, his mother had, had a nervous breakdown, and when his mother had a nervous breakdown, he and his brother were taken and helped by the Seventh-day Adventists. They're, they're big in medicine and helping hospitals and all that kind of thing. But his daddy, his daddy was a, some, some kind of a preacher and they lived in Detroit, Michigan and the mother found out that the father had another family in the South. In other words, uh, he had Ben and his brother and Ben's mother, but then he had another family. Well, it just destroyed the mother. She was, she was a very young woman anyway. And so we got acquainted together, but he was an associated with Baptist people. And, uh, but anyway, he talked to me about his, his life and work. And he said in his surgery, he became the leading neurosurgeon in the world. Think of that. He is the only surgeon, neurosurgeon, that ever successfully separated Siamese twins at the head. Can you imagine? And uh, I, I know it was more than a 24-hour surgery. But this is the amazing thing he said to me. 
He said, Clarence, sometimes when I'm in surgery, these intense neurosurgeries and brain surgeries, and sometimes we've got a whole team of people working on it. He said, sometimes I leave the surgical room and go out by myself and just pray and ask God, what am I going to do next? He said, I actually have asked the Lord, what am I going to do next? I'm right in the middle of a brain surgery and, and ask God to guide me and show me what will I do next. I was, I was so moved when he said that. And uh, he said, sometimes I'm out there a little too long and they send for me. Somebody comes and gets me and says, you've got to come back to the surgery. But he said, I need to know what God wants me to do next. Can you imagine a surgeon talking like that? And much less the leading neurosurgeon in the world. But he and Candy were sitting there and he told me that and I thought, that's a powerful thing. Well, do you know, when I'm studying and preaching and praying and preparing to speak God's Word, there are times when we just need to pause and say, Lord, now I'm at a little impasse, maybe a big impasse, and I want you to show me Show me, guide me, help me to see what the next move is. How, how, how you're speaking here. You're actually in the room with God and God is speaking to you. And you have God's word in your hand and in your heart and God himself is speaking to you. And you're preparing your preaching that way. You see... There's such folly in, in, in so much preaching, such folly, such foolishness in so much of it. Such foolishness. I'm going to take you back to something I've said three or four times because it's stuck in my brain. I can't get it out. Uh, on uh, Henry Skogel's book, The Life of God, the Soul of Man, that he was speaking for God, about God, in God's presence. Well, when you're studying and preaching and praying, when you're preparing a message, you're, you're entering into God's presence and God is guiding you. So preparing a message is as much as a spiritual exercise as preaching it and each step of the preparation of the message should be bathed in prayer. Then we come to this. One of the great secrets, and many people don't ever understand this secret, one of the great secrets to preparing for preaching is long-term preparation. Long-term preparation. Now, there is a sense that when you're called on, maybe you're called on in an impromptu situation, there's a sense that you ought to be able to be, have a message from the time you leave the chair till you get to the pulpit. I mean it. There's only three or four steps to the pulpit. But you ought to be ready to say something. And, but that's due to the preparation that you've had. And, uh, of course, in one sense, we spend our entire lives preparing each sermon. Somebody would say to me, how long, how long did it take you to prepare this sermon? I'd say 70, 72 years. And they smile. But you see, that's, that's the truth. So God is building a preacher, not building sermons, the preacher will do the sermons, but God is building the preacher. And so in one of the great secrets in preparing for preaching is long-term preparation. Now, not everybody has this habit. Not everybody should. My, my, my way of doing it is not the best way. 
It really isn't. But what good would I do to you if I didn't tell you what my way is? I was helped by preachers early on to preach the Bible. I find myself standing standing and declaring another's message. It's God's message. I'm His messenger. Uh, someone says, like the newspaper boy on the street, crying out, here's the news. Well, it's God's message. And so I, I actually have, literally have the idea in my mind that I'm here to tell people what God has told me about Himself and His Word. And so I'm trying to declare His Word and, and, and deliver His message. I, I never think it's my message. I, I listen to people and I know it's their message. And they're good, sincere people. I, I'm not trying to be foolish or make fun of them. But they, I never feel like when I'm listening to them, it's God's message. It's, it's something they've got to say. But there's something bigger, greater behind all of that. You're, you're taking from God's Word what God has said and you're giving that to the people. So let me just say a few things. So you're, you're preparing your entire life. All the little tributaries that run into the river of our existence add to the maturity that we have in the pulpit. We have something to say. The more we devote a long-term philosophy and preparation of each message, the more apt we are to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and bring things to our attention that we would not normally come to our attention, avoiding the habit of last-minute preparation. Now, you may be called on to give a last-minute sermon, but the fact of the matter is, it's, it shouldn't be a last-minute sermon. It should be something that you've journeyed with God in it. Somebody said, well, how long? How long? Well, sometimes some of the greatest things God's ever given me to say have been in 20 minutes. And then other times, it's been weeks. I'm working on now what I'm going to preach on in our men's meeting, and I'm just having the hardest time. You, you could pray for me. I'm having the hardest time. You know why? Because every time I want to get complicated, God wants me to get simple. Every time I want to say how much people need to hear, the Lord wants me to think, there are people that don't know much of anything. What are they going to hear? So, long-term preparations. I, I have a habit. I have a habit of finding the thought God wants me to preach on and the text God wants me to preach on. Uh, I've got to do this for you sometime. I've got about 13 or 14 things I do in preparing a sermon. It's not going to be in this lecture I'm giving now. But I could tell you each step of the way, the thought process. And I, let's do that, all right? Write it down and we'll do it. These folks who help me and they do such a great job. They work as a brain, my brain. I don't have much of a brain, but they can help me have a better one. Can you hear me? If you nod your head, I hear it rattle and I'll know you're listening, okay? Now listen, so what, what we're doing, we're trying to allow God an opportunity to speak to us. So I've got to have something to write on. 
and I use legal pads, yellow legal pads at home, but I use other things when I'm not at home, but I've got to always have something to write on because God will give me a thought, maybe just one thought about that message. It may may be about the introduction or whatever, Uh, but I write down everything, everything, and then my messages are simple, very simple, and they're all the same. My message takes, for the most part, a text from the Bible and a subject from that text because I believe the words of God are more powerful than my words. So I try as much as possible, maybe 95% of the time, maybe longer, more than that. I'll, I'll say this is my sermon title. It's from the Bible because when the people read the Bible, they can come back to that title. And then I begin to read and pray about what is the context of that text. And in the context of that text, that serves as my introduction because I can teach the Bible by teaching the context of that particular text. And the people are learning. But God has a hook. He has a point. If there's not a point or a hook in it, if there's not a reason for it, get away from it until you get, get the message till it's hooked in your heart. What are you asking people to do? Why, why waste the time, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes? Why take the time of all these people if you're not going to challenge them to do something, ask them to do something, if there's not some conclusion you've reached? And then I think sermons should be logical. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But they should be logical. And... So they're pointed. These are the things you want to build on. You're building the case. And then naturally they build on this. Then naturally they build on this and they conclude. So I'll, I'll mark things I've written down. I may have written down uh, 50 things on sheets of paper. And I'll go back in the margin and write, this is in the introduction. This is in point one. I just make a one by it. After I've finished point one, and uh, I remember my eighth grade English teacher that we ought to have a good introductory sentence and then a good concluding sentence in these paragraphs. So how am I going to conclude point one? Then how am I going to introduce point two? How am I going to conclude point two? How am I going to introduce point three? And how am I going to conclude point three? And is there something in the Bible I can call people's attention to that they'll remember? And... Um, all this is long-term preparation. And if it takes long-term preparation, what will the conclusion be? What will I say? Now, this makes about as much sense to use a rabbit run through the weeds for some of you. But for some of you, you're getting it. The point is, I'm, I'm saying, that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. I know where I'm going. And now God's going to speak to me about things I need to talk to on this on this journey I'm on, on this sermon. So I've written here one of the great secrets to preparing for preaching is long-term preparation. Now, it's not the long-term preparation. God may give you the greatest thought and the greatest sermon. I heard Frank Sales preaching one day, and he said he just stopped. Old bald head, and he just stopped. 
They teach him, he's teaching on Jonah. He said, by the way, who cast Jonah into the sea? That's all he said. He didn't, he didn't elaborate. He, didn't, he just went on. Well, God said to me, did you hear him? Who did cast Jonah into the sea? Because in chapter 1, the sailors cast him in. In chapter 2, Jonah prays from the well and says, God cast him in. And then I thought, this answers every question in life. If you can answer this question, who cast Jonah into the sea, it answers every question in life. Because we all think, I saw that and that happened. But what? No, what did God allow? Where's God's hand in life? So that comes just thinking and praying about it. And the more we develop a long-term philosophy and preparation in each message, the more apt we are to allow God to speak to us and help us. Next big point is Harold Clayton. Pray for Brother Clayton. He's still with us and going strong in Houston, he and his dear wife. But the next big point, as we consider what we're going to preach, remember that we're preaching the Bible. What is God saying in the Bible? You know, get over it. You think you've got to get a message. Get over it. You think you've got to be a brain. You don't have. You're not as smart as you think you are. None of us are. God is wiser than all. So we're called to declare God's message. And in preaching, place the emphasis where God places the emphasis. Now I must have another session sometime on the kind of people to read. There are probably 10 great authors that you ought to read what they say. And they're all dead, by the way. Read what they say. And you'll learn how they said it, how God spoke to them. And so, um, in preaching, place the emphasis where God places the emphasis. You say, well, I know what I want to talk about. Well, die to self and find out what God wants to talk about. What is the Lord saying? Why did God put this in His book? Why is it here? I just finished a book on the book of Ezra and we've had it published in a hardback edition. I hope you'll get it. It's a little over 300 pages. I think it's the best thing God ever let me write. It's on how we all return to God. And um, it'll be available for you and I hope you get a copy of it. But as, as I was thinking about that book early on, why did God include that little book of Ezra in the Bible. Why is it there? Why the detailed account that he gave? What is God saying? I want to be able to put the emphasis where God puts the emphasis. And you see, that, that's, that's something that requires prayer and, and, and seeking and finding and searching until you find that. Now, we're going to change change venue just a moment. The next big point here. Plan a preaching calendar. Whether you ever used it or not. <laughs> plan a preaching calendar. How do you do this? And God may lead you differently, but have some direction in your preaching. 
I just finished a series of messages on the 17th chapter of John, the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. I don't know how many messages. Anybody know how many messages I gave on, on John 17? Sarah knows, doesn't she? Yeah. Uh, Sarah's brains this outfit, and she's not with us today. But anyway, uh, but I preached on it Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Now, sometimes I preach on something only on Sunday mornings, very seldom. Only on Sunday nights, very seldom. Only on Wednesday nights, very seldom. But Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Now, why do I do that? Because I want people to know that all three services of our church are important. They're all important. So what I said on Sunday morning is important. What I'm saying on Sunday night is important. What I'm saying on Wednesday night is important. You build the prayer meeting. You build the Wednesday night crowd, and they'll help you build everything else. But plan a preaching calendar. And however you do it, uh, you can do it. I, I saw some idiot advertising the other day that he was preaching on uh, the sex life in the Bible. And I thought to myself, how silly. How silly. First, for him, for him, for his wife, for his marriage, all the things he talks about. You know, to this day, I recommend Dr. Wheat's book. I recommend um, I re- recommend uh, Tim LaHaye and his wife's book for people who are getting married. But I don't talk about all those uh, intimate sexual things with people I counsel. I talk about principal things from the Bible. But uh, subjects, I saw the subjects. They were going, and don't ever confuse this with what I'm doing, but I'm not. How to keep the bed hot and all that kind of stuff. And I think, how? Now that's, that's profane. That's got nothing to do with the Bible. Some hot shot wants to get attention and they went through that. But what, what are you preaching on? Do your people know? Um, has God spoken to you? Can you promote a sermon like you're going to promote a special event in your church? And why they ought to be here to listen to it? So you've got a preaching calendar. Think about your own life and what you want to learn. The Bible is a book about God. And it's all about God. The whole Bible is about God. Every book is about God. And, and God will work in your heart. I've been making some personal notes about things for myself that I'm trying to preach on. And um, there's, there's things God will warm you up with and speak to you about. But keep writing and keep praying and keep preaching and keep believing God. But plan a calendar. Your calendar doesn't have to be all year. It can be. Some of you are such organized geniuses. It's wonderful. I wish I had some of that. I don't have it. I'm a spontaneous human being. But I can think I'm going to preach on this. And Is that who I think it is? Yeah. What have you done to yourself? But anyway, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to preach on this in January or this in February or whatever the case may be. <laughs> That's funny, man. <laughs> But anyway, uh, uh, so, so let, me, let me regain something here just a moment. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, <laughs> calendar. Next big point. <laughs> Maintain biblical goals for your preaching. 
Now, what are biblical goals? Just like you can have goals for your home or goals for your family, what are the biblical goals for your preaching? Let's write a few down. From Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. I'm going to read in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. And as I read that, we're going to go back and write down these are biblical goals for our preaching. You're going to make goals for your preaching. You ought to have goals for your preaching. Uh, we, you know, and we've got to revisit things. I'm speaking in a church planning conference in a few days, and I'm thinking, what do church planters need to know? Well, they need to know about the local church. Well, they need to know about the Bible. They're biblical goals. So Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. Give me the time to read it, would you please? Now we have these gifts, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, but by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but preaching and speaking rather the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Verse 16 from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh measure, maketh increase in the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So, pardon me, I should be seeing better and better and better, but I tried to read it. Okay, here are the goals. Number one, Paul gave these four goals for preaching at Ephesus. It builds the church in faith. Then it brings believers to maturity. It produces people who have integrity. And it equips the church for service. From this passage, we get many things. But I think the greatest thing here is the only real measure for a church. How do you measure a church? Well, most people say my church has more in attendance or my church does this, that, and the other. What is the real measure of a church? What's the measure of your church? What, what yardstick do you use to measure your church? And the Bible says here, the only real measure of the church is in its likeness, in its likeness, in its likeness to Jesus Christ. So, that's what we're dealing with. In its likeness to Christ. Verse 13 says, Unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, what do you hope to accomplish? Preaching 
is the tool or instrument. The preacher, the person, the Word of God is what God uses to accomplish these things in your church. I'll say this, but don't put too much emphasis on it. An alliterated outline can be very convenient for a congregation to remember the message. An alliterated outline. Let me give you an example. Would you turn, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm just giving you this for an example. All right, right in the heart of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, this is a powerful chapter. It's all about the gospel. But right in the heart of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you'll find in verse 16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. And you take that expression, for necessity is laid upon me. Now what I've done with that, for necessity is laid upon me, I did with necessity, that necessity is powerful. It is powerful. And the first part of the chapter deals with that. It's powerful. And then that necessity is purposeful. It is laid. See the little word laid? Laid. That's the same word that Jesus used. That's the same word used in John chapter 21 where Jesus laid the fish that he'd cook for the disciples deliberately, purposefully. He'd just throw fish out there and say, Go get them, boys! He didn't do that. He cooked the fish and laid them for his disciples. Read it for yourself. And Paul says, This is, this is purposeful. Necessity, which is powerful. Necessity is laid, laid upon me. And then it's personal. He says it's laid upon me. And it has to be personal. Nothing is real until it's personal. So you have the alliterated outline, you cover the ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians, and you drive home with every point, necessity is laid upon me. Necessity is laid upon me. This necessity, what is it? The gospel, it's, 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 it's powerful. It's purposeful. It's personal. But you can do that all the way through the Word of God. Uh, do not force an outline on the Bible. Uh, the outline should be true to the text. So don't force it on the Bible. Then always have some great godly direction and purpose for your message. The people who taught me, friends like Raymond Smith and Dillard Hagen and others, Bob Norman early on, uh, they, would, they would say to me something like this, be able to write in one sentence why you preach this message. You ought to be able to write down, this is why this message is preached. This is what I hope to accomplish. This is what I pray God will do when I give this message. And so you always have some great godly direction and purpose for your message. The why. The why. And you make the appeal and give the invitation 
that drives home the purpose and direction. And what you give is not a sermon unless there's a verdict. Is there a verdict? What's the verdict? What's the verdict? You're preaching to an audience of people and you say to them when you're finished, What is your verdict? What is your verdict? It ought to be passionate. Sometimes it's not passionate in your voice or the tone of your voice or raising the voice as I might do with the ping in your voice. It may not be that. It's the words you use. It is, it is the purpose that's given. The inescapable thing that the people must face. Now what are you going to do about this? You have to decide. That's why preaching has in it the invitation to give an invitation. Next point. Prepare early enough to meditate on the passage of Scripture you're preaching. And you may say it, and I'm not exaggerating, you may say the passage 50 or 100 times. It just runs through your mind. You say it again and again, again and again. So there'll be sermons you've been working on and they've been working on you for days, weeks, months, maybe even years. <laughs> Seriously. And... God is speaking to you about these things. So prepare early enough to meditate on the passage of Scripture that you're preaching. Meditation, would you please write this down? Meditation adds breath. And height. And depth to the message. One of the great passages in the Bible talks about Mary pondering these things in her heart. And as she pondered them, she connected the dots. She connected the dots. She connected the dots. Finally, Mary could ponder in her heart that God spoke to her she knew she had never been with a man, but she's going to have a baby. How did that connect with what Jesus said to her as a 12-year-old, I must be about my father's business? Hmm. How did that connect to what the Lord said to her about the miracle of water to wine? And he had to give a subtle, soft rebuke to her that there's a time now she was no longer running things, leading things like that, but yet with respect. How did that connect with when they came for him and wanted him to go home? And how did that connect? How did that connect to Calvary, to the resurrection of the upper room? In other words, all these collective thoughts built, constructed something in the heart and mind of Mary. I think 
when you're meditating upon Scripture, God is connecting things in your life with these meditations. It's so meaningful, so purposeful. Now, you know, I had not planned to spend so much time on each of these things, but so what I plan to do one time now has turned into two times, maybe three times, maybe four times. But I'm going to give you just one or two more. All right? Be patient. Thank you. Are you still patient? I said prepare early enough to meditate on the passage of Scripture that you're preaching because meditation will add breath and height and depth. Now, I'm preaching, I average speaking every day. How in the world can I do all of this? How in the world can I do all this? I can't. So, I'm planning my preaching. I'm thinking about preaching. I'm thinking about what I'm going to preach on. I think about when I'm going to preach it. I think about where I'm going to preach it. I'm a preacher. God's called me to be a preacher. And... uh, I have to file things properly so I can retrieve them. I connect everything to the Scripture so I can find it from a passage, from a verse. I mean, preaching is not my life. The Lord is my life. But preaching is what God's given me to do as my life's work. So, you could drop a hat and I'll preach or Blow a whistle and I'll preach. But if you're going to preach, these are things connected to preaching. The next thing I want to say is the purpose of the message should be able to be stated in one sentence, which I've gone over earlier. Until it can be stated in one sentence, why waste all your time preparing it? Why waste all the time studying it? Now, remember this. You're adding everything you preach to what you have preached till finally you've preached as much of the Bible as you can preach in your lifetime. And you're knowing more about God. What did you learn about God in Genesis? What did you learn about God in Exodus? What did you learn about God in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua? You see what I mean? In Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. What did you learn about God? All these things you learned about God in your teaching and preaching is building you as the Christian, as God's messenger. That's, that's the most enjoyable thing, isn't it? I was thrilled to do the study I did of the book of Ezra and had to connect a lot of different things to Ezra. And what did I learn about God in Ezra? What did I learn about God's purpose in Ezra? So can you believe? Can you just stop for a minute? Would you stop where you are for a minute? Would you stop for a minute? Can you believe that God wrote a book about Himself? Can you believe that God wrote a book about Himself and has called you to give your life to preaching it and teaching it? What greater thing, man? What greater thing could you do? You know, you could be the world champion quarterback for a football team and that only lasts for a little while. But what you're doing for God, the Bible says, will last forever. Get involved in eternity. That's what you're investing in. I can't stop. I'll give you one more. Early in the sermon preparation, we should be able to write a conclusion to justify the effort 
that's going into the preparation of the sermon. Early on, you're not just preaching to be heard. There's no reason to start the lengthy preparation of a message if there's not real purpose in preaching that message. How we're going to conclude the message should reveal the purpose of the message. I was preaching in a special meeting in um, Washington, D.C. I'll just give you an illustration. And sometimes personal illustrations are weak, but I'll give this one to you. And uh, I thought, now what am I going to say to these people? They're here. They're trying to influence congressmen. There's 435 congressional representatives. There's 100 senators, president, vice president. And I have a little information about these things. And uh, what, what am I going to do? Am I here just to talk about what it was a meeting on, a meeting on um, how to help America or what do, what do they call that meeting? Capital Connection. Good people, godly people. And uh, well, what are you going to say to that crowd? You know, that we ought to be congressional representatives or did you know that you can make a congressman a better congressman as a preacher? You can make a senator a better senator as a preacher? Uh, the, both, both senators of the state of Tennessee are friends of mine. I think I can influence their lives. They've been here, been to our church. Our congressional, our congressional representative for 30 years is one of my best friends, John Duncan Jr. And our, our present congressman was our state representative, then our county mayor, and now our congressman. He's a very dear friend. I think he'd call me one of his best friends. I'd call him one of my best friends, Tim Burchett. So I can, I can influence them, and I thank the Lord for them. I've got all their phone numbers in my phone. I could call them right now while we're talking. I might do that sometime just to... Uh, but but what, what, what contribution do we make? And so I brought a message on the people of God. And the people of God in, uh, in 1 Peter, the Bible says in chapter 2 in verse 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. Boy, that thing jumped off the page and smacked me right in the face. The people of God. The people of God. Who are the people of God? Now, I've written a book. Matter of fact, I've written two books on 1 Peter. And, uh, and people tell me they've been a blessing. But this expression, the people of God. You are part of the people of God. When God looks upon this earth, He sees the people of God. Who are the people of God? To whom He works to and through well, I got a hold of that. It got a hold of me. And I went to Genesis all the way through the Bible. Things that are characteristics of the people of God. It's turned into a book on the people of God. What do the people of God... When revival comes, 
is going to come to the people of God. And when it comes to the people of God, it's going to affect all other people. When the Lord Jesus comes, He's coming for the people of God. You know, honestly, I mean, isn't preaching and the opportunity to preach a wonderful thing to be able to get to tell people about the Lord and what His people are and what He has for His people? And the more you discover about God and the rich blessings God has for us, and the more you can preach those things to God's people, the more helpful you can be and the more life you have and the more enrichment you have in your own life from this preaching. It's a marvelous thing. I'm going to stop here and uh, this question here. What would, question, I have to take, take some questions. What would you advise an assistant pastor who doesn't preach on a regular basis in regard to this topic about preparation? Well, look, every, every Christian, not just people on staff, every Christian should be a student of the Bible and follower of the Lord, every student. And so I'd say as the assistant pastor, you better praise God you don't have the care of the churches like the pastor. You better praise God that you don't have that care with the churches like the pastor has because you can devote some more time to God and His Word. Now, the pastor, I'm sure, is not paying you just to study the Bible. But learn how to pray. Learn the Bible. Learn what the Bible is and what God says in the Bible. And uh, you, you, you're a privileged person to be an assistant, an associate. The question comes, what is the difference between preaching and teaching? Should a preacher do both? Well, all preaching has some teaching. But not all teaching has some preaching. Preaching must come to a verdict. It must. The little book Campbell Morgan wrote on preaching has three elements in it. A little tiny book. It ought to be out there for you to find. If it's not, we ought to reprint it. But read that. It'll help you. But there's a difference between teaching and preaching. I've heard some wonderful teaching and God used His Word to stir my heart, but it didn't set me on fire like preaching. God uses preaching in a, in a unique way. Another question, how do you deal with discouragement biblically? <laughs> well, all I know is what David did at Ziklag. They all said, we're going to kill David. If they'd been in the south, they said, we're going to kill you. We're going to kill you, David. And what did David do? He encouraged himself in the Lord. They don't kill people in the south. They kill him. I'm going to kill you, David. We're going to kill you. These, these, these people have already taken all our wives and children. We're going to kill you, David. You let us in. You've got us in this mess, David. We're going to kill you. And what all David had left was the Lord. And he encouraged himself in the Lord. That was good. David could never become king until he learned how to encourage himself in the Lord. And God gives discouragement times so you learn how you can be picked up in the Lord and find that Jesus is all you need. Another question. You used the phrase preaching cranks the engine. Could you elaborate more? Well, you know what an engine is? Well, in old days, James, didn't they crank engines to get them started? Why did they have to crank an engine? To start them, they have to be cranked and then they'll run. So they had to crank it. Sometimes it's dangerous cranking, wasn't it? You could hurt yourself, break your thumb, break your hand, get hit in the face. You know, preaching, preaching can be dangerous. 
because it's a sword, you can cut yourself. It's got two edges, right? And sometimes when you're preaching, and when times when you're studying, sometimes when you're studying, you're bleeding all over. I mean, the sword of the Word of God has cut you all to pieces, and you're bleeding. You're bleeding everywhere, and you have to pause before you bleed to death, and before you continue to speak. So, hey, have a good time. Enjoy yourself. Are you a preacher? Has God called you? Get back to that. And so I use the phrase cranking the engine because it gets everything started. Do you know there's somebody saying, hey, hey. I'm thinking about a cheer they used to do. Say, hey, look here. Somebody is saying, hey, let me tell you something. Churches are dying. They're dying. They're shriveling up on the vine. Hey, let me tell you something. Christianity is out. Hey, let me tell you something. We're not interested in any of that stuff. And they're just backing off and thinking the, the, the worst is happening everywhere. And then an amazing thing happens. Some young, some young preacher dares to come in, take the Word of God, and start preaching the Bible. And God begins to bless and stirs it up. And that old dead church, it was just one foot in the grave and the other on the banana peel, begins to revive and come to life from preaching and from somebody that believes God can still work. I, don't, I want to tell you something. Stay encouraged. If somebody's got all that poor mouthing going on, get away from them. Find another crowd to run around with. I'm going to stay with the crowd that's on the, on the winning side and staying on the sunny side because God is still at work and God can still use you and you can still be fired up and there's men and women and young people out there who want to follow Jesus. If you just lift Him high, they'll follow Him. I'm glad to be a preacher, aren't you? And it ought to get in you. It ought to get in you and stay in you. Now look at all the stuff I've got to say. I haven't even finished. I, I, I can't even finish. You people give me such a hard time. I look out there and see such need I bear down on these things and it's just, it's really, really taking it out of them. So we're praying for you. Let's have a good time. God bless. God bless. Wonderful. Wonderful. Charlie, I see you there. You're looking good. You may be gaining a little weight, but anyway, you're looking good. Charlie Hatcher, lead us in prayer, will you? We're going to turn you on so you can give a word of testimony and lead us in prayer. I thought I saw a wolf here a while ago in Canada, a woolly booger, but I don't know. I think, I think my eyes were failing me. But anyway, Charlie, lead us in prayer, will you? Are you glad to be with us? Give us a word of testimony. We can all hear you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity that you give us to serve you. We thank you for saving us, for counting us faithful, putting us in your ministry. Thank you for Pastor Sexton and his passion for what you've given him to do and what you've called us to do. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be faithful. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. We pray you help us to serve you today. We love you. Thank you for loving us. For us, in Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, I know I'm a little crazy. I know that. I don't apologize for it. Pastor your people. Pastor your family. Pastor your church. Pastor your community. Pastor your city. You be the man God wants you to be. Preach the Word of God. 
and do it for the Lord. We'll see you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism.